0: The driving thought for this series comes from Acts 4.31 where it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. That's something that I live for. I uh, love to experience is to... Get that sense of the room being shaken by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's happened before. Uh, pray for it to happen every Sunday. Not that there's a literal earthquake or anything, but just that you know the presence of God. And that's a prayer that I have for you each week. And that I often write when visitors come or I send them a note, I tell them that I hope that they experienced God in our worship service because that's the most important of everything that we do here. Before we delve deeply into our message, it's necessary, I think, for us to pause and take a broad overview of God's work up until this point in time. God created the earth and Adam and Eve. He enjoyed fellowship with His creation. He walked with them in the garden. How wonderful that must have been. But unfortunately, Adam and Eve succumbed to the appeal of Satan and believed his lie that God was holding out on them. And they decided to disobey God and do the one thing forbidden them. With that act of sin, sin nature became rooted in every man every child into this born into this world and from that time forward, this grieved God. He cannot abide with sin in His presence, but He desires to have that fellowship, that relationship with each one of you like He had with Adam and Eve. He wants you to greet Him in the morning. He wants you to spend time with Him. He wants you to listen to Him, talk to Him, Tell Him about your day. He wants that kind of a relationship. He wants that free and open relationship with every person in His creation. Whereas He had created man with that eternal spark, the breath of God, man through sin now has a sentence of death on Him. Peter writes in 2 Peter 3.9, The lord is not slow concerning his promise as some consider slowness instead he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but that all might come to repentance god desires that relationship with each and every one of his creation you're special to him he made you he formed you he knows you better than you know yourself and he still wants to spend time with you and with me the disobedience disobedience of adam and eve didn't surprise god it didn't force him to come up with plan b what with their disobedience however it became necessary to put into effect the next phase The wages of sin is death. Somebody had to pay for that sin. And so God started that process of someone to pay the penalty for man's sin nature. It should be noted in the disobedience that there in the garden, that didn't sway God from His love for His creation. It didn't make Him hate Adam and Eve. It disappointed Him. It grieved Him. He missed that time walking with them, but it didn't sway his love for them. And he acted to tell man of that love. We can fast forward several hundred years and we learn of God's call to Abram. And my study of God's word and my understanding of God such as it is. I don't believe Adam Abram, excuse me, was singularly chosen to be the father of Israel. To be honest, I think God was issuing a broad call and Abram heard and listened and responded. God still does that call today. He said this, it was repeated by Isaiah when he wrote in Isaiah 6-8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? That's the call that God issues. Whom shall I send? Who will talk to this person today? Who will share with them the love of Christ? Isaiah spoke up and said, Here am I, send me. And so the nation of Israel was born through the offspring of Abram and Sarah. As God promised, the nation became more numerous than the stars of the sky or the sand of the seashore. This nation, the Israelites, was given the message of God initially expressed in the Ten Commandments given to Moses, and of course expanded as God continued to teach them how to serve Him. God's people were to live according to those commandments, and by doing so, they would be blessed. And by the example of their blessing and sharing of what God was doing with the other nations, the world would learn there is one God, He is a good God, and He cares about you. Though the mission of spreading the truth and knowledge of God was given to this one nation, it should be noted it was always God's intention, God's desire that all men would come to Him. They were chosen at that time To be the messengers to be the ones to share but it was to share to the whole world that the whole world would come to know who god is unfortunately the israelites as we humans too often do took another route a route of pride they nationalized god thinking they alone were who God desired a relationship with. They classed everybody else as barbarians and pagans and deemed them not worthy of God's love. Additionally, despite the examples and teaching they received of God's great power and love, they continually drifted from God. God sent prophet after prophet to warn them that His patience was growing thin and that He would allow the nation to be overcome and ruled by other empires. But still the people drifted from God. They disregarded His foretelling of what would be the result of their continued sin. God is true to His Word, whether it's a good Word or whether it's a judging Word. And what happened that God said would happen did with the people. God withdrew his protective hand. We read of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians who conquered the land. They were overtaken by the Medes and Persians and they continued their domination of the land of Israel. Then the Greeks under Alexander the Greek took over and they ruled for a while. It was during this time This time we call the silent 400 years, that period between Malachi and Matthew, where God does not give any fresh revelation. That's why we call it the silent 400 years, because God was silent during that period as far as revelation, that the Romans conquered the land. The Romans were a powerful, brutal army. And it was during that time that God fulfilled another prophecy. He sent the Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus was proof again that God had not abandoned His people. Though they disobeyed, though they turned from Him, though they drifted, though they disregarded, God loved them, and He wanted them to return to Him as their God. When Jesus came, Matthew 15, 24 tells us His purpose that in coming was to come to bring the Israelites to repentance. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus returned while efficacious for all of us. He came desiring for his people, his chosen people, the Israelites, to acknowledge Him as the Messiah, to receive Him as the Messiah, and turn their lives over in worship to Him. That was His focus. God had not given up on His people. Jesus' focus was on God's chosen nation, the Israelites. However, once again, they rejected Him as the Messiah. Once again, God set them aside for a later time. God's desire continued to be that for all men to enter fully into a relationship with Him. That's never changed. He wanted that done through the Israelites, but they refused the task. And so God continued with His plan. You see, we can refuse to do what God says. We can disobey. And He doesn't immediately smite us down, not usually. I guess that may happen sometimes. But he kind of lets us go on our way, disobeying him, disregarding what he says, not speaking to that person. But that does not stop the will and purpose of God. He continues on his purpose. He continues to work to draw people to come to know him. The Israelites didn't stop that work, but they lost the blessing of being his ambassadors. And God turned that, that task over to another peoples, to the Christian church. That's when the church, the New Testament church, was formed. And so while the Jewish people wait for the end of the age, God turned his focus to those Jews and later Gentiles who would receive him as Savior and Lord and who would take on the mantle of proclaiming Jesus Christ to a lost dead world. And that brings us to our passage today. Jesus, as he said, had died for the sins of man. He rose from the grave. He ascended to the right hand of the throne of the Father. And in Acts chapter 1, he told his disciples to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ knew they needed that infilling of the Holy Spirit in order to be able to accomplish the task he had for the New Testament church. And so they did wait. The coming of that Holy Spirit is the thrust of our message, Acts 2, 1-13. Read that along with me. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, and visitors from Rome. Both Jews and converts to Judaism were there, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. In this passage, we read of one occasion where God directly intervened in the affairs of man. Typically, if you'll read your scriptures and study, you'll find that God works through his followers. He uses somebody to be a vessel of his work towards someone else. But there are those moments where God directly intervenes in history, and this is one of those times. He needed to jumpstart the work. The disciples certainly were uh, in a probably a state of depression, state of discouragement. discouragement. The one that they had loved, Jesus that they had followed, had been crucified. Yes, he rose again, but now he was gone. What were they to do without him there? They were waiting all together as they'd been instructed. And then suddenly it says like a strong wind, the Holy Spirit entered the room it looked like tongues of fire that landed on their heads the Holy Spirit entered the lives of each believer in dwelling them and providing them the strength and wisdom of almighty God God has a tremendous task for his people but he does not leave us on our own devices on our own strength on our own wisdom. He promised and He has provided that Holy Spirit to give us that drive, that wisdom, that understanding. You can imagine that as this happened, the disciples spilled out into the streets. They were able to speak different languages, but not quite that. Notice in verse 7, we're told the disciples spoke in their native Galilean tongue. God became the Universal Translator hundreds of thousands of years before Star Trek, the Universal Translator. And he took what the disciples were sharing and made it understandable to all those nations. As I counted, there were 15 different nations, regions, and countries represented there, representing much of the known world at the time. And they all heard of the tremendous work of God. This was indeed a bold beginning to the New Testament church. Peter stood up to explain to those what was happening. He told them that what had happened had been promised by the prophet Joel hundreds of years earlier. Then Peter proceeded to recount the events of the last week of Jerusalem where Jesus had been tried wrongly convicted, put to death on the Roman cross. He went on to explain that Jesus rose from the grave and that by His resurrection, all men can experience eternal life through Jesus Christ, life from the Father, if they will but repent and believe, followed by baptism in Jesus' name. The message Peter preached hits home with the people And it's recorded that about 3,000 accepted salvation offered by God through Jesus Christ. What a wonderful, tremendous beginning the church had. What a powerful way for the message to begin its propagation throughout the world. Those visitors from the 15 nations, countries, and region would surely return home telling about what they had seen and experienced in Jerusalem. In one fell swoop, the gospel of Jesus Christ spread to many lands. The work began in Jerusalem, but it was not restricted to the city. As the book of Acts continues, as it progresses, we read of the spread of God's Word throughout the Jewish world. And then God didn't stop there when He challenged Peter to go into Europe to preach to those that they did not think worthy of God's message. And God said, don't call them unclean. Nothing I have made is unclean. Go, prepare, and present the Gospel. That message of God hasn't ceased. God has instructed His church, the body of believers in Jesus Christ, to faithfully and consistently proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ throughout the world. People are still lost, still dead in their sins, and bound for an eternity separated from God. They are still floundering to find something to find meaning in life, and they do it the only way they know how. They can't do it the way of God. They don't know God. As Mark shared, he's encountered this woman who hadn't heard of Jesus. We think everybody knows, but they don't. Even if they've heard the name, it may be just as a cuss word, not as a personal relationship. They need to know there's a different way, a better way, a way that brings peace and life. And God has chosen you to tell them the answer to their search. Many of you will remember the Wendy's commercial that ran incessantly many years ago, where an elderly woman opened her burger to find this scrawny piece of hamburger, and she proclaimed what? Where's the beef? That three-word phrase became known to everybody. It rang in our heads. To those who paid attention, we learned that Wendy's was the place to get a good piece of meat on your hamburger. That's where you could experience and not ask, where's the beef? The question asked by that elderly actor resonates true for God's church today. Where's the beef? The beef in this case is the good news of Jesus Christ. The beef is peace, healing, strength, and comfort that He gives. The beef is eternal life and freedom from the chains of sin. In your heart, you may wish that every man, woman, and child would come to know the truth of God. You may wish that God would send a revival that would sweep through the land and turn people's hearts back to Him. God has done that before and He may do it again, but it should be noted that those revivals began with sincere and earnest prayer by God's people. Seeking God to move, joining together in fervent prayer, praying for the of His Spirit. The revivals began from God's people getting right with Him first and living what He commanded. The revivals came not because God sent cloven tongues on the heads of people this time. God has put the Holy Spirit in the hearts of His people, and He has enabled, empowered, and told His people to share the good news. The mantle of proclaiming God to a world that needs to hear is given to us. The current believers in Christ, we need to do it boldly. We are ambassadors of the supreme creator of the universe who sustains all things by the power of his hands. To recall Peter's words, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all might come to eternal life. God will act boldly as we trust Him and obey Him. He has promised the Holy Spirit will give us the words we need when we need them, if we will speak. He has promised to indwell our prayers and give them meaning when all we can do is moan and frustrated utterance. He has promised to care for us and to meet all of our needs if we'll only trust. God's not thwarted. His mission hasn't stopped. His love still abounds, and it's available to all who will receive. It is not God who is powerless, but despite his great power, we can stifle his voice in our life. We can quench the power of the Holy Spirit. We can grieve God with our disobedience. Christians, there is not a new or different way. Jesus is still the way, the truth, the life to the Father. You've repented initially of your sin and been baptized in water. To walk obediently with God day by day, we need to repent of our willfulness and take that fresh infilling and baptism of the Holy Spirit, yielding our life and each moment of the day to Him. Asking that question, Lord, who can I tell about you today? Show me that person. We've lost our boldness. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit that we like that our culture doesn't want to speak of faith. Because then we think that gives us an excuse for our silence. Well, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to upset them. I don't want to make them mad. But if you will read verse 13 of our passage today, and if you continue in the book of Acts, you'll see that God's message and His messengers have always faced resistance, ridicule, and reprisal. But that is no excuse in the eyes of God because He has made available to us His eternal power. The Apostle Paul wrote in 837, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. As we close our service today with the hymn, Here Am I, Send Me, may that be a true expression of our surrender to Him, We can say, Lord, I don't believe you can use me, but here I am, send me. Lord, I've failed you so often, why would you want me on your team? But here I am, send me. Lord, I'm scared, timid, and worried about how people will react to me. But here am I, send me. That's what God is asking for. Those five words, here am I, send me. It is possible, he does it, that he could send you, like Sue's parents, to East Africa to tell natives over there about the Word of God. It's more likely that as you're in the grocery store this week, he'll say, say something to that person. That as a family member is going through a turmoil, he'll say, Tell them how they can find peace. All he wants from you is that willingness to say, Here am I. Send me.